You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. New start, same God. Last week, we obviously looked at Joshua chapter 1, where we had a change of leadership and the elders and the people of Israel. Well, by verse 18 of chapter 1, they are fully behind Joshua. Wherever Joshua goes, they will go. And while Joshua is a book that is a story of conquest, conquering the promised land, but we have this story as almost like a bit of a pause before we get into the nitty-gritty of the rest of the book. And while Joshua 2 is, is structured like a good old clean ham sandwich, okay? You know, you get the two bits of bread out, you butter both sides of the bread, and you have your good bit of ham in the middle. That is the structure, because if you look at the start of Joshua 2, we begin with Joshua and the spies, And by the end of Joshua 2, what do we end with? Joshua and the spies, the two bits of bread, if you like. And verses 9 to 14 is the main bulk of the sandwich, if you like, the the meat of what Joshua 2 has to say to us. So let's just take this sandwich, as it were, the structure of chapter 2 to guide us eh, this morning. And the very first thing we see in verse 1, very simply, spies are sent. Spies are sent. Joshua, he spends two spies to check out the land, and he instructs them to do it especially look after Jericho. And of course, Joshua, we know, was one of the spies sent by Moses to check out the land many years ago. Because remember, Moses had sent out spies. Joshua, in a sense, is following what Moses had done, the the wisest and no leader like Moses. And while Moses sent 12 spies, they took 40 days to survey the whole land. And while we know from a, a good old children's song, don't we? 10 were bad and two were good. What the ten had reported was very different to Joshua and Caleb. And now Joshua sends out spies. Why? Well, it's a very sensible thing to do, isn't it? The last uh, spy mission was 38 years ago. It's wise to get up-to-date information, wouldn't it? You wouldn't decide where to live or what car to drive on 38-year-old information. At least I hope you wouldn't. It's perfectly sensible and wise to do this because it doesn't seem just yet how God is going to lead them into and out and through this promised land. But as we read the story, it's a story that many of us will know so, so well. We need to read it carefully. Where does Joshua send them out from? It's from Shittim or Shittim, isn't it? And that in our minds, we need to think about that place because it's a very bad place for Israel. All the way back in Numbers 25, there we read about Israel being like the Moabites, living with them. It's absolutely disastrous for God's people. They reject God. They follow the Moabite gods and their morals. And there they rejected God. And because they rejected God, we too might anticipate disaster to follow. Because what did Moses have to do in Numbers 25? Well, he had to put the chiefs of the people and peel them and put them on the sun. And there was a plague where 24,000 of Israelites died. Why? Because they were living in that place, living unfaithfully to God. In a sense, they were like prostitutes, isn't that right? They were adulterous in their relationship with God. They were unfaithful in their relationship with God. So when the spies enter Jericho and they go to Rahab, the prostitute, we might think that another disaster is to befall Israel, mightn't we? But no. The spies are sent, and then we see that the spies are hidden by Rahab. Unexpected. Why? We'll get to that. The spies are sent then to scout out, scout out and maybe get a feel for the atmosphere. 
you know, to get their ear to the ground and hear what people are saying about uh, the Israelites across the, uh, the, in the River Jordan. And we're best to gather information than somewhere where you might be anonymous, somewhere where people might be looser with their tongues, and where you might meet a wide variety of people. That is why they go to Rahab's house, like an inner tavern perhaps at best. And there's no indication that the spies acted inappropriately, because if they did, surely God would punish them as he does Israel in later chapters. And these spies, they're sent in by Joshua, as we have learned already. But they're not very stealthy spies, are they? You know, you know James Bond, we, many of us love those sets of movies. The world's most famous spy. He travels around the world, meets all the bad guys. But when he meets the bad guys, doesn't every last one of them know exactly who James Bond is? Even he might be under a different name, but they know who he is. And why they just don't end the movie after five minutes is beyond me, and the bad guy gets James Bond, but that's exactly what these two spies are like. They're not very stealthy. Why? Well, a report reaches the king. What is the report? It's not just, you know, there's a couple of men acting suspiciously, suspiciously over there with Rahab. Do you want us to go check them out? No. What, what, what's the report? There are men from Israel spying out our city. They know exactly who they are and what they are doing. Other failures of spies, really. And when the king's men, they approach Rahab, what Rahab's knows, at this point, we don't know. Perhaps in her end, she was used to dealing with people and denying if they were there in the tentons or not. But even in this episode of Rahab hiding the spies, just like Esther, if you remember all that time ago, God's hand is working in all of this. Because there just so happens to be flax on the roof. Flax isn't there all year round. Flax doesn't dry all year round. It's picked up at certain times of the year. Coincidence? Not what God's people call it. It's God's providence. So Rahab has hidden the spies and sends the men away. She seems to know exactly how to deal with these men. Maybe she knew them. Maybe able to spin a convincing story to tell them, uh, tell them enough to get them away and send them on a wild goose chase to the opposite side of the city where she'll let them leave later. But why does Rahab do this? Why does she deceive her own people? Why does she protect these two spies? Because, well, let's face it, Rahab's not the kind of person to to be faithful, is she? Or to show loyalty? Why does she show favor on two foreigners? Why, why, why? Well, she tells us in her confession, it's because her heart has melted. Her heart has melted. And in verses 9 to 14, the ham of our sandwich, if you like, Rahab confesses. This is what we have in the main thrust, totally unlikely, at a city that's going to be destroyed, and we meet a person of questionable character, yet she confesses by God's grace. Look at the words that she uses. She says uh, in verse 9 there, I know that the Lord, all in capitals, though Yahweh, the covenant name for God, Rahab knows to use that phrase. Yes, she might not have the faith uh, and being grafted into the people of Israel yet, but she knows there's something about this God. She knows even before Israel steps foot that the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth, as she'll go on to say, has this for them. What do we know about Rahab's confession? Well, Rahab hears what God has done, hasn't she? The Lord has given you this land. She knows what God will do, but she has heard how the Lord has helped them in the Red Sea and the, the two kings of the Amorites. The Lord, remember, sent Moses to Pharaoh, and we looked at this recently in the big Bible overview, to rescue his people, that the Egyptians would know God, that God's people would know God, 
that they would know Yahweh, but here, well beyond the borders of Egypt, are other people outside of Israel knowing God. Rahab believes that the Lord acted powerfully in this devastating way on behalf of his people. Why? Because they were opposed to God. And that is why her heart is melting. A great fear of God because she knows, and the people know too, that when they come against Israel, they will fail because this is the God of heaven and of earth. Whenever God's word reaches people, whenever God's redeeming acts reach people, whenever hearts are melted in fear and awe and wonder of God, just like Rahab and the people of Jericho, two reactions are possible, to reject and to fight against it, or Rahab's response. She confesses the Lord, the only God of heaven and of earth, the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab has no other explanation for any of the events she's heard of except God. Rahab seems to stand alone as a citizen with Jericho. No one stands with her, and it's an utterly remarkable statement from a woman of such standing. She is saying, this is God. Not all our Canaanite gods that we dapple with, those aren't gods at all. The God of the heavens above and the earth below is Yahweh. It is the Lord. She's highlighting, confessing the one true God, sovereign over all things, using again the covenant name for the Lord. She has heard the majestic acts of God. She knows there's no other God in heaven and earth, but she just doesn't stop there saying with her lips, what does she do? Well, Rahab asks to be saved, doesn't she? She seeks refuge in the Lord, verse uh, 13, 12 and into 13. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive. Rahab recognizes her future depends on this Lord. So she casts herself to him and his people on his mercy and his people's faithfulness. It is the Lord who's going to give Israel the land, and it is the Lord who will protect Rahab. Her heart had melted away in fear of God, and she knows the only way to avoid God's wrath is to have refuge in him. Verse 12, to show the genuineness of all what's going on here, what does Rahab say? She says to the spies, I have dealt kindly with you, that kindly word in the rest of Scripture, especially the Psalms, we will read it about God being kind. It speaks of God's steadfast love, His kindness, His faithfulness, His covenant love for His people. Surely that all wrapped up in this is Rahab's genuine response uh, of heart to these men. I have dealt kindly with you. I have been steadfastly loving you, loving you in this time. Rahab's confession is already remarkable. She hears what God has done. She confesses what God has done. But she seeks refuge in the Lord. We might hear, we might say, we all need to be driven to seeking refuge in God. Seeking refuge, like Rahab, from God, in God. And that's just the case for us today. Yes, we need a knowledge of what God has done. God's creation and the great redeeming acts of all of history, especially in Jesus. We need to be confessing what God has done. There needs to be a movement of not just knowing, but confessing with our lips. But both those things need to drive us, point us to seeking refuge in Christ. We can know what God has done. We can repeat what God has said and done. Repeat stuff off by hand or off by heart but we need to seek refuge in Jesus. The only hope of safety and refuge 
of God's righteous wrath is in him. That is why the appropriate response for Rahab is this fear, her heart melting, but yet running to this Lord. We can seek refuge in God, in Jesus. Why? Because God's grace is available to us. Rahab, maybe we should think that she should be cut off from God's grace. But God's grace is available. Israel were to go into the promised land and remove all the Canaanites. Why? Well, one of the main reasons was their sexual immorality of Leviticus 18. And surely, of all the people of Canaan, Rahab typifies all the people. Surely she is the most unlikely recipient of God's grace. Rahab, a Gentile, a Canaanite, the lowest of the low. Not one of Abraham's people, yet she will be engrafted into Christ's even family tree. A moral, a foreigner, surely someone would never consider to be have experience of God's rescue and grace, but here, as she lived a life of constant offense, she seeks refuge in him. God's grace is available like Rahab through faith. See, this story of Rahab the prostitute is a reminder of God's mercy. She is an example of God's grace and the freedom God's grace brings us. No amount of sin, even the most vilest and heinous of sins, can lead us to despair with a cure is God's sovereign grace. There's no sinner, no matter the depth of our sin, that cannot be forgiven, but turn to Jesus. If God can rescue someone like Rahab, there's no one beyond his reach. God can penetrate, as we see, in the most unlikely of hearts. Rahab has spoken to the spies. She has hidden them. She's confessed to them. And then in the next scene, verses 15 to 21, the spies promise an escape. So the spies and Rahab, they exchange instructions. And this is probably the most famous part of the story itself, isn't it? Letting out the window and tying the scarlet cord on on the window. But what do we learn in this bit? Well, we learn that faith always acts. Faith always acts. Rahab, what she must do is tie the cord, gather her family, and will keep her lips shut. And Rahab, she continues to seek God's mercy because it stays there. In the book of James, uh, James uh, chapter 2, James writes that faith by itself, it, if it does not have works, is dead. And while faith is revealed in actions, and who is the example that James gives as someone who is faithfully obedient through their actions? Yeah, you've guessed it. Rahab. Her faith is expressed in her obedience. Rahab, she seeks refuge. She knows where to go for that refuge, but action always follows her. Rahab ties the rope. That's her act. How can we show our faith in our Jesus through our actions? Do we need to display God's grace more in our work and how we talk to people and be more patient with staff or bosses? Do we need to practice sexual purity? Do we need to be opening Scripture in our homes to our children and to pray with them and for them? Do we need to be actively loving people that we find hard to love? Not, a, not avoiding, but loving. Do we need to stop listening to the world and even ourselves and listen to God's grace and promises in His Word? As we reminded last week, you know, talking to ourselves, meditating, marinating in God's promises. We need to act in faith, just as Rahab acts on her faith. And this scarlet cord that she ties, it's an obvious beacon of refuge, isn't it? 
For Rahab, I am sure it seemed like the most strangest thing to do. Dangle a red bit of cloth out your window, and that will save you. But it was a symbol, it was a sign of this beacon of refuge for her. There's certainly times we just have to obey God when we're not quite sure what it means or why we have to do it. We just have to do it. And this is what Rahab does. And surely she was confused, but it offered her refuge. In Jericho, her house is the safety zone in the midst of all the judgment. Just like the Ark of Noah was the safety zone in the midst of judgment. Just like the homes with the, the painted doorposts in the Passover were safety zones in the midst of judgment. Where do we have to go to? Well, it's the safety zone in the midst of judgment, isn't it? It's the very cross of Jesus where judgment is poured out on him. That is where our safety zone is, the actual place where judgment takes place. That is our safety zone. In all of this, what are we we learning? That God is showing us that it's not a matter of blood, but belief. It's not a matter of who you are or where you're from, but belief in him. The spies listen to Rahab and carry out their instruction of remaining in these hills for three days. And then the spies return finally and report. Verses 22 to 25. This chapter ends how it started. The spies and Joshua. And later you can contrast with Numbers 13. This time the report is more like Joshua and Caleb's. There's no negativity or lack of faith of the ten spies anymore. But what words do they use? Verse uh, 24 or 25, sorry. Uh, And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Whose words are they using there? It's Rahab's words, isn't it? Rahab's words is the report. The inhabitants of the land will melt away as her hearts of the people were melted. And maybe as the Joshua and the two spies, you can imagine the three of them having this conversation alone, can't you? They've traveled, their feet are wet after crossing the river. And as they recount to Joshua, all that had happened to them, maybe even as they were in the hills for three days waiting with their, their heart pumping in their chest or under the flags waiting to be caught, whenever they crossed the river and they thought they were home safe and dry as it were, I'm sure as they were talking to Joshua, they started to smile to each other. As they saw God's hand in it all, surely as they were talking and explaining to Joshua all that had happened, they remembered God's promise. You know it, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. They had experienced God's protecting hand. God had been faithful to his word, and he will continue to be faithful to it. Israel in this story, Joshua and the spies, are given this immense encouragement of God's faithfulness. Wherever you go, the Lord will be with them. What about our response to all of this? Well, surely in the story of Rahab, we just simply marvel at God's grace. A Gentile, not one of God's people, yet her faith was pointed to long ago because wasn't Abraham told that there'd be a blessing to all nations, and here we have someone outside of Israel being blessed. Part of a nation worshipped false gods who were utterly corrupt, offered child sacrifices, herself a prostitute. Surely Rahab is an example of God's marvelous and inexplicable grace. Rahab was a Gentile just like us. 
Rahab had worshipped other gods, and, well, we certainly worship other gods. She was sexually immoral, and oftentimes we have been too. We have been corrupted. We ignore God, but now the blood of Jesus saves us. It is His great act on the cross, the taking of our sin, the wrath of God, that safety zone in the midst of judgment as His blood flowed out like scarlet. Rahab, in reality, is no worse than your eye, no less deserving of God's grace. She simply sought refuge in God as we seek refuge in Christ. God's grace is a marvelous thing to behold. We're a church at home and here full of sinners, people who are seeking refuge from our sin in the safety zone of Jesus. Today, may our hearts melt with a love and devotion for Christ. Let me finish with this. God's grace is fab, as shown with Braham. The spies and the Jericho, to gather intel, where should they go? Maybe a lady of the night would give them some insight, so off to Rahab's house they would go. Rahab hid a few spies under some flax on the roof, sent the king's men on the search. What a spook. Rahab, who worked in the red light district, was to hang out her red cord, and in doing so, she would avoid the sword. Her obedience would give her faith proof. Her heart melted away. In God's refuge, she will stay. Turn from her promiscuity, and in her God find security, trusting in him all the way. We might know what God has done through Jesus, his only son, but what we must start is to trust in our heart. Christ over Satan has won. Marvel at God's grace and look on Christ's face. Whatever our trespasses, his love surpasses as we continue to run in the race. God's grace is available and extends to you at your wit's end, ready to receive if you believe. Come to Christ for he is our refuge and friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of your Son and the Spirit that applies the work of the Son into our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your marvelous grace that you lavish on us, your people. And Father, we pray that as Christians, we would act on our faith, not simply give lip service to it, that we would continue to seek refuge in you and to live for you. And Father, we pray that as a church family, that we would find refuge in Christ. For those who are lonely, Lord, we pray that they would seek refuge in Jesus. For those who are worried about sickness or anxiety, Lord, we pray for those who are out in mission for us in our work, that every day we would find refuge in Christ. For changes in life's circumstances, and even in the life of this congregation, may we simply run to Jesus. May we find refuge in him. And Heavenly Father, our hearts are burdened for those who know what to say, but do not run to Jesus as their refuge. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, you will work in their hearts. Lord, we pray for our friends and our family for people who are encountered by our, our missionary friends throughout the world, and for those even gathered here today. Lord, melt our hearts with a love and devotion for our Savior Jesus. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen.